Welcome back to How They Train. Today we're joined by AFL superstar Matthew Richardson. I was sort of thinking to myself before the before the episode, does Richo even really need an introduction? Because if you're in Australia, you just say the name Richo and like people literally know exactly who you're talking about. But uh, for those of you international listeners, Richo is a 280-game, 800-goal AFL star whose name is synonymous with the Richmond Tigers AFL club. Richo, at like some points in his career, was literally almost bigger than the game. Richo, mate, what an honour. Uh, how are you going? Yeah, thanks for having me on today. Uh, I was going well until my um, internet started playing up about 10 minutes before I was due to jump on here. But we've got it sorted. We've got hotspot on my phone. And uh, thanks for that introduction. Um, very nice of you. Hey, uh, Richo, what are you sort of what are you sort of mainly doing with yourself these days? Yeah, mate. Luckily, uh, I'm still involved in in the AFL industry mainly um, in the media side of things. I've got got uh, four employers really. I work for Channel Seven uh, during the football season, Three RW Radio here in Melbourne. I still work for the Richmond Footy Club. We do a podcast uh, down there and some stuff for the website, and uh, also do some stuff for sports bet in the AFL um, around the previews for the matches each week on the AFL website. So during footy season, you know, that keeps me really busy. And with two young daughters, you know, I have a few months off uh, in summer, which uh, I enjoy spending with them, obviously, at a young age that they are. And, and how does that sort of work that you're doing at the moment compare in your head to, to playing AFL? Do you enjoy it as much? Do you enjoy it more? How's your, how's your life actually changed? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I played football uh, for 17 years at AFL level. So it, it's all I've really known uh, is in my adult life is the AFL uh, industry. As far as comparing the two, look, I love doing what I'm doing now. I love working uh, in the game and following the game and, and broadcasting matches. But look, I've got to be honest, nothing would ever replace the adrenaline of actually playing the game, being out there on the arenas and, you know, performing for your fans and, uh, you know, and uh, for your club. So I don't think you can ever replace that. I mean, this it's, a, it's an age-old story, you know, professional sportsmen that, you know, struggle to replace that high that you get once you finish. And I won't pretend that it's the same, but it's still highly enjoyable. So when you're like commentating a game, uh, and particularly you, because like during your commentary, you spent a lot of time or have done in the past, spent a long time like sort of out there on, on the boundary, right? Like right in the thick of the game. Yeah. Are you uh, like, are you just wishing you were out there? Are you on the sideline sort of like a little bit of adrenaline, just like wanting to be a part of it? Or when, when you retired, was that sort of part of your life just completely past you? Uh, you know what? I found out pretty quickly. I reckon it was... Uh, a couple of weeks into the job that I am doing, you, you speak of sitting on the boundary line and literally you are part of the action. I mean, it's sometimes uh, the ball comes across the line and players are flying at you from all angles. So you are really right in there amongst it. And it wasn't, uh, you know, many weeks into my media career when I was sitting there on the boundary line and just listening to the bodies, uh, you know, bumping into each other and the velocity that the guys hit and the, the, you know, the pace that they run at and some of the collisions that occur and, I just thought, geez, I couldn't do that anymore. So, no, I don't really miss um, that playing side of it as far as I knew that I was physically not able to do that anymore. Um, but the adrenaline, you still get the adrenaline of, you know, when it, when you watch a buddy, Franklin, I was there the night he kicked those goals on the run at the MCG on the members' uh, wing, you know, running and bouncing it away from Carl Hooker. And, you know, you got goosebumps on your neck. So you still have those goosebump moments. Um but uh, I'm pretty glad I'm not playing anymore. The body just wouldn't be up to it. 
So during those big moments, like say when you see Buddy do that and, and like, I mean, you're a big moment guy. You had so many moments in your career that like people would kill to, to have like some of the experiences you had out on, a, on an AFL ground. Is it, is it like jealousy you're feeling? You're like, fuck, I wish that was me back there doing that and like, you know, doing that special thing. Uh, not really. No, I think I just, as a fan, I'm, I'm a fan now more than anything. And I just enjoy watching the best players play, you know, and each team's got at least, uh, at least two or three of those guys that, you know, bring people through the turnstiles to watch the games. And, um, when they're in the moment and when they're in the zone, and when I say that, I mean, you don't get in the zone that many times in a season, you know, you could have a really good year, but when I talk about being really in the zone, it might only happen a couple of times a year where it just it appears that everything that you touch turns to gold on the ground. So if you get to see one of those games, you know, every three or four weeks from one of the superstars, that that's when I really get involved in it. And the hairs do stand up on the back of the neck and, the, you know, you literally do get goosebumps, but it doesn't happen every week. You know, it might, uh, it might be a month in between a game like that from one of the superstars. I mean, Max Gorn had one in the prelim final when he kicked those five goals out of the ruck. I mean, he was in the zone that night. And when you witness a game like that, you do get involved. Yeah. And, and I guess like if we can bring it back to your career, do you remember or do you have like a moment or a couple of moments that like straight away come to your mind when I sort of say like, what was one of those special moments for you? Yeah, I do. Uh, and as I said, it, it might be it might be one game a year. It might be one or two. I could probably think of three or four games off the top of my head where I felt like, you know, if the ball came anywhere near me, you know, I felt like I was a pretty good chance to get the footy. Um, one of them was a game against the Western Bulldogs, at the MCG, where I managed to kick 10 goals. So I just, from the start of that game, it just felt on. And, you know, there might have been a, three or four more of those through your career when, you know, everything that you you sort of did seem to come off. But, yeah, it doesn't happen all the time, that's for sure. And um, speaking of, like, your career, like, it was obviously such a massive career. Like you said, 17 years in the game and you pretty much, like, achieved everything that, that a player would want to achieve. Um, how do you – do you think that, like, um, when it comes to you specifically, it was all driven out of hard work? Or were you just a guy who, no matter what you did, that was always going to be your career? No, no, it's, it comes down to the work you put in. I mean, I, I've seen so many examples of, you know, highly talented individuals that come in and, you know, they've been dominant in junior footy just because they're that good. And I mean, if you get drafted, you're probably going to be a pretty dominant player in your local, you know, your local underage team and in your state teams, you, you're probably going to be pretty dominant. But then once you get to AFL level, you know, you're suddenly in a team with 40 other guys that were drafted and are obviously talented people. And I've seen plenty of guys that had more natural ability than others, but they didn't have the work ethic. So you don't, if you don't have the whole package, I don't believe that you make it, particularly now the game is that elite with the fitness and, you know, the, the requirements that you have to have now to play the game. And, and uh, to be able to perform at your best, you need to be physically able to, you know, train, with the best and, and prepare yourself the best now. I mean, maybe in a bygone era, you may have got away with the talent, uh, but certainly in my time in the game, you need the talent, but then you need the whole package as well. You need the work ethic and you need the, you know, the desire to get the best out of yourself fitness-wise as well. Yeah, and when it came to you specifically, what do you think separated you from, from other people? Like, 
if it is just like that, everyone everyone in the game who's drafted has some form of talent, mm. like yourself included. Was it was, like was it specific things that you did like better than anyone, or or did or trained harder than anyone else that made you the player you were? Look, I always felt you know, and I got told pretty early. Uh, in my journey in the AFL system, some of the best advice I got when I first was drafted to Richmond under the father-son rule was, you know, find out who the best trainers are and, and jump on their backs, you know, and follow them. And that's what I tried to do when I got to Richmond. Uh, I, I thought I was already a, a pretty hard trainer. You know, I prided myself on my aerobic ability. And I, I knew that that could be an advantage for me at my size um, to be, you know, six foot five and, you know, I ended up being over 100 kilos. But I felt like that's where I could get an edge with my, my actual aerobic ability. And this was a time before a lot of interchange. She stayed on the ground the whole game. So I knew if I could, you know, get my aerobic ability up uh, where it needs to be. And I did have a, a pretty good natural aerobic base, but I knew that it would be better than most guys my size. So that's where I felt that I could get an advantage. Um, and it was something that I really focused on. Yeah, and who were the guys that you sort of jumped on the backs of when you when you got into the club? Yeah, a couple that come immediately to mind are a, a Craig is a guy called Craig Lambert who um, was the best and fairest winner at the Richmond Footy Club, and when I got there, he was clearly you know the best runner, the best uh, trainer. So I wanted to run well, so I jumped on and tried to hang with him in the time trials. Um, another guy, Matthew Knights, Wayne Campbell. Uh, these guys are all Hall of Famers at the Richmond Footy Club, Knights and Campbell. And then there was another uh, guy who, look, he's not a household name, but he was an extremely hard trainer, a guy called Brian Lees, who, I, who I've who i tried to follow in the gym and out on the track as well. And, um, you know, I think that held me in pretty good stead. And I think the other thing that does is you earn respect quicker from your teammates if they can see that you're trying uh, and working as hard as you can when you first arrive somewhere. So... Yeah, I think that was a good uh, good bit of advice that I got early days. And inside the club, in in your time at the club, were were you known inside the four walls as being one of the hardest workers in the game? Look, I think yeah, you never want to pump yourself up, but I think for my size um, and weight, um, the the ability I had aerobically, I think you know, I think that most people thought that that was a strength of mine. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess later in your career, maybe like one of, one of your most famous moments is is that Brownlow Medal night where you had one of the one of the best years like an AFL player's ever had. Really, it was um it was quite crazy, uh, and and a big part of that was was from your your aerobic capacity, wasn't it? And moving up the ground and and being almost impossible to play on because of your size and strength, but but also ability to run. Was that like um something that you wish you'd done earlier, or was that planned? You know and or did it just come about like sort of randomly? Look, it, look, I think people probably forget. I played a, quite a bit of footy at half forward or at centre half forward. And, you know, it wasn't a lot different as far as running goes than playing on the wing. I mean, when you're centre half forward, you've got to get right up the ground and you've, you've got to get back to the goal square as well. So that required, you know, a lot of running as well. Look, I think what happened when I went to the wing, you get a little bit more freedom. You don't quite have that you know, one-on-one -on -one, uh, contest that you get in the forward line. Um, you know, most of the game, you've got a defender with his arm across you. Uh, certainly in my time, zones have come in a little bit now, obviously. So there are times when you don't have someone standing right next to you. But I got up on the wing and there was that little bit more freedom. I think the other thing, I'd actually lost a bit of pace, but I still had my aerobic ability, but I'd lost a bit of pace off the mark. And I was actually struggling to get off my man inside 50. 
So it was a beneficial move to go to the wing at that time. So the timing was right um, because I could still run all day, but I probably had lost a little bit of pace. So the wing ended up being a better position for me at that time because I just couldn't get off my man inside Ford 50, probably with age and a little bit of power gone in the legs. So um, how did it come about? Uh, we had a young player that had arrived at the club, Jack Rewald, who was obviously a household name now and a three-time premiership player. And I think the coach at the time, Terry Wallace, just wanted him to develop a little bit quicker inside 50. And look, it's a fair point to say with me playing down there as well, uh, I was probably limiting the amount of ball that Jack was getting. Um, and it probably was hurting his development a little bit early days. So Terry could obviously see the future was with Jack. Um, and it worked out to be a good move for both of us. Jack, you know, got a little bit more space inside 50. And, you know, it helped me have a, a good year towards the end of my career. I only played six games the next year and that was the end of me. So uh, it was a nice way to finish. Yeah. And, and so to develop that sort of aerobic capacity, do you remember certain things you were doing? Was there sessions that you would always do? Were you a guy who just did a lot of running volume? Yeah, look, we back then it was more... There was more long distance running in the game because you didn't have the interchange that you now have and it, it's a contentious point we know that I, I feel like if you wound interchange back it might come to a little bit more of a battle a battle of uh you know aerobic ability it's a, it's a speed based game now repeat speed whereas uh in my time it was more about staying out there and being able to run all day long maybe not as quickly but you know that aerobic base that you needed um i was always a good aerobic runner i used to you know win the cross countries and and the longer distance running at athletics you know at school level so it was something I always enjoyed uh, and even though it was a strength of mine you still had to work hard at it so I did do a lot of long distance uh, running uh, early in my career. Yeah and at the club at the time were your coaches sort of that old school coach who just you know demanded everything from you and um, and and made you work really hard day in day out when you're at the club or were they sort of more new age coaches where it was you know, run by a sports science team and that sort of thing? It was, it was, I'm talking about the end of 1992, start of 1993. It wasn't a full-time game. Um, you know, most guys were still holding down full-time jobs, you know, and arriving at training, you know, at five o'clock and not leaving the club until 9, 9.30 at night. So, look, it was hard yards. Uh, it was semi-professional. The money wasn't quite there to be professional. So in that regard, you know, the sports science probably wasn't quite there either. Um, but by the end of the 90s, you know, it had fully transitioned into full-time professional sport and, you know, there was a lot more money spent on, on the, uh, I guess, the preparation of players, which meant we had, you know, really good uh, sports science people and, and, and conditioning people um, and it really did transition through that period. Not to say the guys that at uh, the start of the 90s weren't great at their job, but it, it really did move pretty quickly towards the end of the 90s to sort of where we find it now. And um, when it comes to your game, you, you know, we're talking about you being an aerobic runner. Was that what you prided yourself on? Or was there other aspects that you sort of maybe even thought were, were bigger strengths than that? Yeah, look, I guess as far as the physical preparation, I did pride myself on the running ability. And I, I liked to run my opponents into the ground, you know, and I felt like by the end of quarters and then the end of games, I could normally do that. Um, but I, I, the other part, the skill-based part of the game that i you know, I really worked hard at was my marking because, you know, I did have long arms, um, you know, the old wingspan, they say that when you put your arms out, you know, to your side, you know, the wingspan is normally the same as your height. Well, mine's actually greater. I had really long arms and that helped me with my marking and 
I, I felt like that was a big part of my game and I, I worked pretty hard at it. So, um, yeah, they were the two areas of strengths uh, for me, I guess. Yeah, and, and something that I'm really interested to like get your um, take on or hear your thoughts on is that I always saw you as a really intense competitor and, and you know, I'd heard stories about you being a really hard trainer and, and obviously like your running um, ability was sort of like uh, legend in the game at, at that period of time. You'd always hear commentators and, and people talking about it. But there's also this other side of you where you were like known as like a really fun guy, uh, maybe outside of the game and, and like a just one of the best media performers the game's ever seen. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, there was like a bit of a, a Richo show that was, uh, you know, me, for me personally, a Tigers fan growing up yeah. was just what made me love you and, and, um, and, and I guess love the Tigers even more. Did you think that, that maybe that side of you took away from just how competitive and how hard a worker you were? Look, I think what happened uh, in my career is that, you know, I did take it pretty seriously and I, I was an emotional player. I played on emotion as well. I, I feel like I played my best when I was, you know, up and, you know, highly emotive, I guess, out there. At times it, it wasn't good. Uh, you know, I, my body language probably hurt me and my teammates. Well, it certainly did. Uh, I felt like I, I sort of needed to play on edge though to, to get the best out of myself. And at times it at times it worked, at times it didn't. I think I finally learned how to deal with that better into my 30s and I started to play a lot more consistently. But I guess the theatrics of it, you know, enjoyed me to some people and then other people probably thought I was a bit of a deal at the same time. But, you know, that's probably helped me in my second career in the media because it gives you a bit of personality and some people can relate to you, some can't. Um, but generally people have an opinion, I guess. So, look, I did need to play an emotion and that was another part of my game that I guess was there to see on on a Saturday afternoon yeah and I guess that is really interesting that like you have just like seamlessly transitioned into the media and are now you know I would I would argue you'd be one of the most in-demand guys in the in the game in from any media company um do you think that would have happened at all if you hadn't have um you know shown that side of, of your personality out in the field Probably not. Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I think obviously when you're coming into the media, you know, you, you are performing and you are entertaining at the end of the day. It, it is about the game and it, the players are what we're there to see and, and broadcast on. But the, the people presenting the game, you know, you need to have a little bit of a personality and connection with the audience as well. So I think there's no doubt I got the jobs because, because of that, I guess, towards the end of my career, maybe the, the, the uh, executives in in the media saw that maybe there was a bit of personality there that, you know, maybe you know could do the job. I mean, they don't didn't know if I had the skill set, and I didn't at the start. And I, you know, I'm still working on it now. I'm still learning now. But um, yeah, I think you need to you need to be yourself more than anything, and that's what I try to be, I guess, in the media. And do you find that the the sort of traits that made you such a good player, like how hard you worked and 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 how competitive you were? Do they transition into into this job in the media? Like, are you um, working really hard behind the scenes and, and applying that same mindset and attitude to to become one of the best in, in another field? I think you can apply, you know, the same disciplines to whatever job that you do. You know, if you want to be good at something, you've got to work at it. And and you know, you may have some some personality. You may be able to you know articulate yourself in the media, but you've still got to do your homework. You've got to know the players that you're talking about, the teams that you're talking about. And as you're further removed from clubland, 
Um, that, that gets harder and harder because you, at the end of the day, if you're not in behind the the closed uh, doors at a footy club, it, it's hard to know exactly what is going on. So you need to, you know, you've not got to watch the game closely. You need to know, you know, each each player at each club and what they do well. And to do that, you know, obviously need to spend a lot of time watching the games and and studying the games and, and watching the results and seeing who's playing well and who isn't. So it is a full-time job. And I think if you don't do that, you're going to get found out pretty quickly because the fans at home know their teams better than anyone. You know, they follow their teams with such a passion. And if you're a media a performer and you don't put in the time and effort, then I think the fans at home are going to know that maybe you haven't put the work in. So I think the harder you work at anything, um, the better results you get out of it. And that applies to playing, that applies to broadcasting, it applies to you here and your podcast and how much homework you put in before you speak to someone. It applies to any job that you do. And that's really interesting. So I, I'm a, I like I assume that you're someone who, if you pick up the phone and, and want to find, like reach someone in the AFL world, it's a very easy phone call for you to make or text for you to send. Like um, no one doesn't want to talk to Matthew Richardson, do they? Look, I look. I think people would return your call for sure. But in in saying that, you you do start to lose a little bit of touch. I mean, when I first finished playing. You know, you know most of the players. You, you know them if you walk past them, you know, on, on the footpath in wherever you live, you can stop and say good day, and you probably know them, you know, a little bit. Whereas now, you know, 12, 13 years removed, there's not many players left playing that was playing when I was playing. So it does get harder because you, you sort of don't quite have the, the contact with the players and you don't quite have the relationships that maybe you did have. But in, in saying that, as you said, I feel that if you made the call that, uh, you know, they would get back to you for sure. And so is all you're doing watching the game and making your own judgments on the game or or are you sort of, you know, trying to get in contact with clubs and players and maybe just ask them questions about what they're doing or why they're doing it or, or that type of thing? Like how deep does it go? No, I think it's like anything. I mean, you, you make contacts and you, you've, you, you'd know someone at each club, whether they're right in at the coalface or they're, they're at the periphery of the footy club, but you need to, you need to know people at each club and, and speak to them because they, they may, you may be able to get a little bit of information. And I'm not saying, you know, that you would ring someone from a club and they're giving away their game plan, but they're happy to tell you who's been training well and what they've worked on over the summer and, and what they're trying to achieve this year. I mean, it's it's not rocket science at the end of the day, but I think it is good to have a contact at, at, at Clubland and and to use them and to see if you can get some information out of them that may be beneficial on the broadcast. And at times the clubs are trying to get a message out there as well. You know, that a certain, you know, where they're at, they want their supporters to know where they're at. And, you know, there's a, a message they're trying to get across. And if they can get that across through the, the broadcast as well, I think that helps them also with their supporters and what they're trying to tell their supporters. And are you still like just a diehard Richmond, Richmond man? Like is, is it really hard for you to watch their games and commentate on their games because you're still like emotionally connected to them or has that sort of dissipated over time? I'm a full Richmond nuffy. There's no doubt about that. I find it hard at times watching the games. You know, I, I was a passionate supporter as a kid. My dad played for the club and, you know, growing up in Tassie, you know, I'd be there with the the AM radio on a Saturday Arvo in the mid eighties, trying to find the, you know, the the band that Richmond were on and, and a crackly little radio listening to them before every game was broadcast on TV. So, you know, I follow the club closely. And uh, as soon as I retired, I just stepped back into being that Richmond supporter. And, you know, I love it as much as ever. I love the success the club's had and, 
you know, I hope they can maintain it. You can't maintain it forever, but I've enjoyed the success and, you know, it, it gives you great joy watching it. Yeah. I mean, that, that period of time where, um, I mean, because for people who don't know, I assume pretty much everyone listening does know, but you went, you played at the, the Tigers and uh, uh, one of their greatest of all time, like you're in the team of the century. You're, I, I think in, in most Richmond supporters' eyes, you're like probably the biggest cult figure that the Tigers have ever had and they've had quite a few of them. Um, and, and you went through like a, a long period with, in relative terms, not much team success, which is what everyone mm. sort of plays the game of AFL for at the end of the day. And and then um, to see that that big period we've just had of, you know, four years where we sort of won three grand finals and came pretty close mm. in a fourth, was it all happiness and all joy or was there a mixture of like, fuck, I wish that was me or? Yeah. No, good question. And I have been asked that quite a lot. Um, a lot of people, the first sort of thing they ask me is, you know, that must have been tough. You must have been jealous. And uh, it could not be further from the truth. There was not one hint of jealousy at all. I mean, as I said, I'm a mad Richmond supporter um, and I just wanted the club to be successful. So it didn't happen in my time, but timing is everything and it just wasn't meant to be. But I couldn't, there was, wasn't one ounce of jealousy watching Richmond win, trust me. I got as much joy out of that as you know, playing in my playing time at Richmond, uh, watching them win those grand finals. So, yeah, no, no jealousy at all. Yeah, that's crazy. I guess that speaks volumes of uh, who you are as a person. And, like, that's sort of legendary in the AFL world as well from from everyone who I talk to is that that you are just one of the, the greatest guys uh, in the industry and it's not just, like, a an act or it's not just sort of like a, a, a facade. It is, like, you are genuinely one of the, the best blokes in Australia. I don't know about that, but look, I, as I said before, you got you got to be true to yourself and and you know and try and be yourself and bring that across in, in the job I'm doing now in the media. But the, I mean, I look at some of those ex Melbourne players last year that that uh, enjoyed their wins, the Gary Lyons and and guys like that, and I mean they were as happy as at any moment in their playing careers as well. I think when you've got a real genuine connection with the club um it comes across and uh, you know it was the same when the bulldogs won back in 2016 um seeing some of their past players so yeah look it was it was a fun time hey richo just to, to sort of finish on is it all right if we just do a, a couple of little quick fire questions and yeah and uh and and get your take on them if you don't if you don't yeah. want to say you don't have to say but uh i'll shoot them off anyway yeah cool mate hey um who do you think's the greatest player to ever play the game there's been a lot, a lot, but uh, look, I, I still, I think the guys that you play against, because you see them up closely, and I guess I'm watching guys up closely now. Look, I still think Wayne Carey had the most influence on games uh, in my time, and I mean, I, I can't really compare him to guys that played in the 50s and 60s. It's hard to compare eras, but it's hard for me to imagine that uh, there's been any other player that could have the influence on a game that Carey has had. And, um, Oh, he he to me is the one. Yeah, and and on the same theme, who's the who's the best of the current mob? Yeah, good good question. Um, look, look, I'm I'm probably a bit biased here. I, I I just think what Dustin Martin's been able to achieve in big games. Now he may not quite be as consistent from week to week as some of the other on ballers in the competition, but watching Richmond closely in this period of time where they've been involved in a lot of big games, I don't remember him having a quiet game in one of those big games and then moments in big games. So for me, I still think he is the, the best of the current 
Bart Shea, last year he was injured and didn't quite have his best year. But if you win three Norm Smith medals in three uh, premiership wins and, uh, you know, and be good in all of those final series in all of those big games, uh, I still have Dusty up there. Pretty special, eh? I mean, Gary Ablett Jr. was was incredible. But, uh, yeah, I, I, just for those Norm Smith medals in three wins, uh, and I'm biased, I know that, and people listening will, will <laughs> recognise that. But, gee, what a, what a performer he's been. And uh, there's, this one's one that gets a lot of debate. Who's the best team that you've ever seen? Yeah, good one. Good one. Look, those Brisbane teams, in the, they played in four grand finals in a row. In the early 2000s, I mean, they had everything. They were tough, they were hard, they were ruthless. Um, you know, and I played against them, so I saw it from week to week. You know, they had great leaders. They were intimidating. Um, I think I think for me, probably them. But then you've you got to look at that the Hawthorne team that won the three in a row. Um, and then you got that Geelong team that won three out of five. And I guess there's Richmond as well that won three out of four. Um, but I, I'm going to say that Brisbane Lions team. And uh, outside of Richmond, not not who do you think will win, but who do you want to win the premiership in 2022? Oh, gee, who do I want to win the premiership? Look, I think people have loved watching these droughts be broken. Now, I don't think they're going to win, but I, I would love to see St Kilda win a premiership now. I think, you know, you've got to be a pretty heartless sort of uh, opposition fan if you didn't get a bit of joy out of watching Melbourne win. Uh, I was there when the Bulldogs won in 2016 and just saw the tears in the supporters' eyes and the joy that it brought them. Um, and then, obviously, on, you know, I lived the Richmond one in 2017. And I know a lot of St Kilda supporters have only won one premiership. It's now the longest drought, obviously, in the AFL. So I don't think they'll win it. But if Richmond weren't going to win it, I would love to see the Saints win a flag. And uh, Kane Corns came on the podcast and, and made made the big call that Isaac Heaney would win the Brownlow in 2022. Yes. Who do you have as your early pick? Uh, gee, good one. Good one. Um, look, I, I think you, you need to be in a team that's going to win the, the 14, 15 games, you know, because if you do that, you're going to get a lot of votes. Uh, I can't see Melbourne not being there again. I can't see the Dogs not being there again. And, Look, Marcus Bondenpelli, he feels like a veteran, but, you know, he's only 24, 25 years of age. Um, and I just feel like he, he's going to win a Brownlow, so I'm going to say Bond. And it's a pretty obvious one, but they're going to win a lot of games and he plays pretty well in all of their, their wins. And uh, a bit of a hard one, because this is a uh, colleague-based, so don't answer if you don't want to, but, but who's the best media performer in the game? Oh, gee. I mean, it depends what you're looking for in, in your media performers. I mean... Look, I, I guess having worked and been lucky to work alongside McAvaney and Cometti, I mean, I think they're the the best two that uh, that I've seen, um, you know, up close and personal. But look, I, I love I love everyone that I work with at at seven. But yeah, look, I I, I won't answer that one. But I'll say the best two I've seen are, are McAvaney and Cometti. And I started working with Brian Taylor in in uh, my first year in the media at 3AW and you know Brian brings brings humor he brings he brings passion and you know he, behind the scenes he taught me so much about being involved in the media as well and I love working 
with BT. He wants everyone to be the best around him. So look, I've worked with three of the of the really good callers there. And look, there's so many, but obviously working at seven, I'm biased towards the guys that I work with because I see them up close and personal uh, week in, week out. And, uh, and the last one, can you make a bold call or predict- prediction for something that will happen in 2022? Ooh. All right, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that Essendon can finish top four. I just love their young players. I like that. That is bold. And I don't know why. I I, I just got really carried away with their young guys last year, and I don't know. I just like what Ben Rutten's doing there. I think he's he's really brought that club together. You look like a genius if that one comes comes off. <laughs> well, it's a bold prediction. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, that's a good note to end on. Uh, thanks so much for, for jumping on the show today, Rich. It's a, it's a bloody honour. You were someone who, as a kid, I had posters of on my wall, so it's a, a bit sort of surreal having a, a chat to you in, in real life, but I, I really appreciate your time and, and love everything you have done and, and are doing um, and, and can't wait to see what the, what the future holds for you. No, thanks very much for that and I appreciate those kind words and yeah, well done on, on what you're doing. Um, there's so much good content out there at the moment to listen to about sport and uh, well done for contributing to that. Awesome. Have a good day, Richo. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers, mate. I might see you at a Richmond game. Oh, I hope so. I'll come say hello. Shout me a beer. Yeah, come say good day. Introduce yourself. Will do, mate. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care, man. Bye-bye.